welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay. A queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, a.k.a. Joanna. I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, LCO123, a.k.a. Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vanderjesus. Well, here we are, the finale of 7A, um, a season that was significantly better than 6B, although that bar is very, very low. Um, what's on tap for tonight? The swan song of Noel Khan, Jenna the Gunslinger, the Mary Drake as Mommy reveal, uh, and it's an episode that's using up a lot of budget on the supporting cast, which I'm personally a fan of. Uh, it's weirdly short in terms of runtime. Most PLL episodes clock out at 42 minutes plus. This one is not even 42, and it has like a full minute plus of previouslys. Uh, it's also an episode where I kept watching a scene, getting ready to write about it, and then having to like go back and be like, what just happened? Because <laughs> this whole episode was written by Goldfish. It's, it's just where we are now. Um, it's also like, it seems like there are scenes that are randomly missing from the episode. A lot of things like, I mean, a lot of stuff hasn't made sense lately in the realm of the show, but like, in the context of this episode, even more than usual, like even more glaringly than usual. Um, but having said all that, I think this episode is actually one of the better ones of this half season. Uh, you can tell in parts that it remembers PLL is supposed to be fun and it has ideas, even if they wind up in like a Thornhill Lodge-esque sort of muddle. Uh, I do think they're there kind of. Uh, one of the themes that I think we see is who do you count on when the chips are down? Who is mm -hmm. your person? And those stories are love stories, even more so than the OTP reunions that we are marching grimly towards. Um, the other idea that's present but not really dealt with very well is Hannah and the torture she's endured and the way it's informing her choices uh, to kidnap and torture Noel. Like, what happens if one of the liars breaks like how thin is the line between any of them and charlotte at what point does the mm -hmm. torture you've endured become the torture you recreate when did you become the thing you're most afraid of oh good question good question um yeah this first of all what you just said is like so much more uh interesting and articulate and like thematically complex than anything this episode is like surface level doing but I love your read um I feel like this episode does have a lot of classic PLL finale elements you know we have romantic reunions we have gunplay we have a creepy location we have lots of running around in the dark um but it's just it's really disjointed it's really unsatisfying and it's really weirdly paced this episode feels like a couple of episodes stuffed together and yet it also feels like there's not enough plot to sustain a single episode. It's really a strange little cocktail and makes it feel that much clearer that like this whole season or the whole series at this point is just being written episode to episode. Yeah, it, it's like they stuffed all of the exposition into the first 20 minutes and all of the action into the last 20 minutes. But in the last 20 minutes, they still didn't really have like a clear, they didn't have proof of concept, I don't think. Yes. So like, you know how like, there's there's the, the scene in like the Travis tow truck era 
where like the, he like comes to the door and all of the liars are like standing there like screaming and holding like yeah. various weapons like that is basically the last 20 minutes of this episode I feel like a bunch of liars were at the bottom of the staircase going ah! or like whatever whatever the scare of the moment is it might be a bowling ball it might be a head it might be a door that's locked of course it's locked like you know yes. so uh the last half of the episode um basically just becomes like that scene again and again and then whatever's going on upstairs and it doesn't help that all of that stuff in the dark is not well filmed. Like it's not well filmed. It's not well lit. You can't tell where anybody is or it's badly edited. I like, mean, they ran out of, they ran out of money so clearly. Like the blood yes. in this episode looks like it was bought at Spirit USA, like maybe <laughs> on a clearance sale. Uh, and then also like they just ran out of money to light the set when they got to the ending part. <laughs> The bulbs are just, like, going on. I actually, I will get to it when we get to it. But, like, I really, I love the movie Wait Until Dark. And I felt like there was, like, I do feel like elements of the end of this episode are referencing that. But I wish that they would have leaned into that harder. Because, like, for anybody who doesn't know, Wait Until Dark is an Audrey Hepburn movie where um, she plays a blind woman whose home is being um these men are like coming and in, breaking into her home and there's a whole sequence where like basically the lights go out and so she is blind but these men are are in essence also blind which is sort of what jenna is like setting up at the end here and i'm sure that that was a reference somewhere in the writer's room um but i like i just i wish that there was more style to it you know i wish there was more mm -hmm. like more character more texture but anyway we will get there shall we start at the very beginning I think, I think we will. Um, okay, so the liars are debating whether or not to call the cops. Their current level of worry uh, is set at Noel has kidnapped Hannah. Uh, they've also lived in Caleb, off screen, of course, on the archer being hit by a car and buried in the woods situation. Also, Mona is here and Allison is magically back from her field trip. Uh, not sure why the liar's fears have transitioned from Hannah's gone rogue to Hannah's been kidnapped, but okay. Uh, in the ongoing tech saga, Mona cannot ping Hannah's phone because Caleb gave her a new one that is unhackable. LOLOL. Okay. Uh, Mona then heads to the Radley to keep tabs on Jenna. Spencer calls 911 and reports that she thinks her friend has been abducted. Yeah, this scene is very much like we're just declaring things in dramatic tones to make it feel like we have stakes. I do like Mona referring to Hannah as our resident girl gone rogue because that's just like such a Mona kind of line. Um, and I do think, I mean, as always, Mona is like such a highlight of this episode, right? I mean, she doesn't get enough to do, but what she does is great. And I love the like, you always can feel with Mona when Hannah is in danger, this like extra layer of panic that she like tries to smooth over with her conf confidence and her confidence but I do I feel like and this I'm gonna just give this to Janelle's performance because I don't think this is really in the writing but like I feel like that is present here you know in this early scene well this scene and I agree with you about Mona in it it's so interesting because like this season started off with Hannah is missing right and now 10 episodes later guess what Hannah is missing not still again uh and we have to like go through this whole this whole situation 
Um, so I feel like the show is like trying to create a bookend there, but it just doesn't do it super well. No, no, it really doesn't. Um, Hannah, though, she has not been abducted because she is in her little motel murder lab place and ripping some tape off the mouth of a bound and mostly unconscious Noel Kahn, greeting him with a wake up, bitch. Uh, Hannah turns on her camera and unsheathes a knife. And as she stares morosely at her reflection, she has another little flashback to her time being torture porned. Now, I noticed a weird thing here. I don't know if you noticed this too. The audio and the subtitles have Hannah going, Noel, stop, let me out, or some variation of that. But Hannah didn't know that that was Noel. And also, for like a good part of this season, Hannah has thought that that was Archer slash Rollins. So it's a really weird, it's like her memories are being retconned at this point um, to try to trick the audience into thinking like, no, that was Noel all along. Uh, Go ahead. No, you continue. I have more to say about that, but yeah. (laughs) So she approaches Noel and kind of, you know, picks his head up. She has a knife. She says that this is his chance. He just has to admit it. He just has to say that he is A.D. Uh, He doesn't really say anything. It doesn't really seem like he's capable of saying much at this point. Uh, And she says, fine, they will do this her way. And then, so (laughs) we're going to find out soon that Hannah's goal here is to collect some of Noel's blood so that she can test it. But she decides to go about it in, like, the spookiest, torturiest way possible that is, like, most likely to, you know, contaminate the evidence that she seems to be treating with such importance. Um, And, like, she kind of, like, runs her knife over his cheek and then, like, runs her knife over his leg. And there's, like, some drops of ominous blood. Yeah. Um, and now here's the thing. I do think like when we see the the flashback and Hannah is like in this memory saying Noel, like Hannah is recreating this memory and thinking about how scared she was and the sure. idea of it being Noel on the other side of that door. And I I will say like, although it's supposition, I can see from Hannah's perspective how this would feel different if it is Noel Kahn, like someone she's known for years, like the best friend of her gay ex-boyfriend versus <laughs> like Archer or Mary, who she barely knew at all. Um, yeah. You know, like that, that would make it like personal in a way that is like more scary. And also like, yeah, I, I could see how that memory would feel different if she's inserting Noel into it, but it's really unclear that like the show is saying she's inserting it, whether the show is saying, no, no, this is what happened. Right. It feels like, like if they were, exactly, if they were doing it from a place of like, oh, this is Hannah kind of tricking herself into a false memory. If they were doing the like, you know, Mona hypnotizing Hannah into thinking she did, she killed Wilden kind of filter over this, I'd be like, oh, this is actually kind of a cool psychological choice to make. Uh, But they're not. It feels like they're just being like, no, 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 it was Noel. Like, we know we said it was Archer, but like, forget that. It actually was Noel. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Arya gets the shush this week. OG. OG. (laughs) Okay. So this is like, it's not even a scene stack (laughs) so much as every time we're at the Hastings house, we're going to get like a tiered scene cake. So (laughs) the first layer 
is that we have police and radio chatter as the liars sit at the counter in the Hastings kitchen. Uh, this scene, I think, is just meant to show like police activity, police activity. And I guess maybe the police are taking evidence because Noel stole the flash drive the night before. But the amount of evidence they are bagging seems very extreme for a place where none of the liars currently live. Yep. Um, Marco, who like throughout this episode is just saying things like he wants Mary Drake found and brought in for questioning. Um, Officer Tobey reports that his stepsister has not left the Radleys since yesterday morning and that the hotel staff confirms her story. Marco makes an ableist remark about, you know, how much trouble can a blind girl possibly give them? And Tobey is like, but Jenna has superpowers. So, you know, get ready for that. Um, Marco wanted to buy Tobey a beer, but that is not going to happen now. Tobey says today doesn't have to be his last day. And then Marco kind of, you know, man to man tells him, He'll take care of Spencer and will not let any harm befall these pretty little ladies. Oh, I hated that line. I really hate Marco in this episode. I hate how he's like, he's, he's like so flirty with Spencer, but he's also constantly reminding Spencer that he's a cop. It's so gross. Oh my gosh. I like going into this season. Like if you had said like, what are your feelings about Marco? I would be like, I don't know, like neutral to like maybe minus one negative. Yeah. Like I, I didn't really feel like I had strong opinions about him, but watching this season, oh my gosh, dude is a creep. He is He's a creepy, creepy, so creepy. creepy. He's so yeah. creepy. So it's, patronizing too. It's such a bummer because he would have been such a good AD and they, they didn't like cash that in. They're really, they're, they're doing a nice job of setting it up. They really are, yeah, or like some member of the A team or something, mm-hmm. or yeah. you know, reanimated Wilden in a mask or something. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so let's see. Shall I take the second half of this weird scene uh, stack? Well, I think you should take the next scene within a scene that is Caleb and him, and then I'll take Spencer Marco, and then you can take the fourth scene within a scene. Okay, so what's so weird about this next bit is that. Caleb, weirdly, comes over to the liars to tell them the information that Toby and Marco just exchanged, which is that Jenna has been interviewed by the cops and is at the Radley and isn't going anywhere. And it's like, yeah, we know. We were there 20 seconds ago. Um, Also, Allie's sweatshirt is bad, but her makeup is very pretty. Um, so they, so there's also a lot in this episode of like somebody coming in, giving a piece of information and being like, I'm going to go call X person and just like leaving the scene. I think it's because like this episode is almost filmed like a play or something. Um, so, so Caleb has that information. He's going to go off to talk to Mona and like, they're going to be kind of a weird little odd couple this episode. Uh, and then I guess I'll throw it back to you for Spencer and Marco. (laughs) Okay. So third scene within a scene. Spencer apologizes to Marco for lying to him the night before. She says that she was just scared of Noel. And Marco's like, well, I read all about you in the bunker in Charlotte right after we met. And I am going to bring this guy in. This is like Marco's police talk again. Uh, And we will find Hannah today. Now, this is one of those weird things. While the liars have been historically disbelieved by the Rosewood PD, we're now taking Spencer's word about the about the flash drive without any actual evidence of its existence or contents. Okay, 
Uh, anyway, Spencer kisses Marco on the cheek and then is embarrassed. And he is like, not here, but he's clearly pleased. Uh, the other liars are like apparently kind of shocked and scandalized about her cheek kissing Marco because no one talks to anyone anymore, I guess. Also, Spencer, like from this point, like from this interaction with Marco onward, Spencer has so few lines in this episode. Like she's just like, she is totally adrift in terms of plot. Um, And then like one of the main Spencer scenes earlier is actually not her, it's Alex Drake. Right, right. (laughs) Wearing that same sweater. Like that's just the Alex Drake (laughs) sweater apparently. I found this so gross. The way that he's like, I'm going to tell you how I know all of these dark details about your past. And I'm going to tell you in this setting where, like, already your emotions are high because your friend is missing. We're in a public place. Like, it would be so different if it was, like, he, you know, took her aside at some point, not in this moment, and was like, look, I want – I just feel like I need to be real with you. These are the things that I know. And, like, how – how would you like to navigate this if we are going to have a friendship or a relationship or even just know one another as I'm a cop and you're a citizen of this town? But it's so weird the way he uses it as like this bizarre comfort measure to like, but like it feels very condescending. And it also just is like, let's just talk about all your traumas, Spencer. Like, I know this about you. I know that about you. You haven't consented to me knowing any of this knowledge. Well, one of the things that is like a, a like hitting you over the head theme of this episode is like knowing someone so well. Like you have to prove you know someone yeah. so well, and then it's like you unlock that we're meant to be together. Uh, and so Marco is like trying to use a cheat code here to be the like yeah. I know all the bad stuff that's happened to you because I read it in your police file, whatever, whatever. Um, which I feel like the the way that that is being set up is in direct opposition to like the liars know who knows them best. And we're going to see a couple examples of it uh, as we move through the episode. Well, and it's that thing that we've talked about before too, of like the attitude of knowing, like being able to anticipate what someone wants before they have the chance to ask for it equals true love like basically taking away your partner's autonomy means that you really love them. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then we go over to, okay. The, the, the use of the news report and the like police radio in this episode is bizarre. Like it's, I guess, I, I think it's just an attempt to like add tension to the scenes, but it's like, we're going to hear the repeated, like Hannah Marin, blonde woman, five, seven, you know, 23 years old. We are going to hear like some variation of that. I'm going to say conservatively like five times. Um, it's so weird. So there, anyway, there is a news report. Uh, there's like a press still that's clearly like Ashley Benson from like season two. Um, and then a picture of Noel. And they're saying that, you know, this man is dangerous and you know involved with this woman and spencer goes off to call ashley who is apparently in london now i call absurdity on the fact that the news would be reporting that hannah's been kidnapped without mentioning she was kidnapped and in the dollhouse five years ago (laughs) or that she was just kidnapped uh, like a little while ago like they didn't tell the police i guess okay that's like it's that's her secret kidnapping that's her secret (laughs) This is her, once. Shame on me. Her second kidnapping. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
So Hannah herself is at a lab where she is giving a blood sample from Noel to a lab guy and bribing him with an envelope full of cash for quick results. The picture of her flashes across the TV, the story of her being kidnapped, but fortunately, she still has her hair pulled back. Uh, so even though she looks freaked out and then acts very nervous as she passes by the uniformed security guard, nothing comes of this. She is not recognized. Which, like, it's like, oh, potential moment of tension. Nope. Like, <laughs> uh, so over at the Radley, where Mona will be holding court for a lot of this episode, she is blue snarfing Jenna's phone and overhearing a concerned voicemail that Jenna is leaving for Noel. Caleb joins her just then, and they contemplate this Jenna Noel situation and if perhaps somebody has been double crossed and whether Hannah got to Noel first or Noel got to Hannah first. <clears throat> yes. Um, Aria is video chatting with Prezra. Like, Aria is still at the Hastings house, but magically all of the police and the liars, like, are not in the living room where she is. So I assume it's like, uh, uh, you know, the episode of Buffy where, like, Willow did a spell and so she was existing in the same place, but an alternate reality. Or, like, that Lake House movie that had maybe Keanu Reeves in it. Anyway, um, Aria is video chatting with Prezra. He says that they sent out another search party, but it's just to humor people like him that came down there hoping to find their loved ones. Uh, he gets why she deleted the call. It was a plot contrivance. Oh, no, no, no. He says he gets why she deleted the call. No one should have to mourn twice. Unless you're Emily and your love interests are constantly going missing or being murdered, but whatever. Um, Arya says that she'll pick him up at the airport and then they can go to that diner he likes with sugar cream pie. On one hand, she's kind of treating him like a toddler, but on the other hand, that's what he acts like most of the time, so really <laughs> a pretty good strategy. Um, anyway, he will take a cab, but he wants her at home when he gets there. She agrees, and they exchange I love yous. I felt like this was like a weird power move to be like, no, I'm not going to let you do your offer of picking me up at the airport, but like, I want you at my apartment when I get there. It is so weird. And I, like, <clears throat> obviously they did that because it would be less interesting to just have Arya sitting in her car at the airport for the whole right. half of this episode. Right. Um, but it, it's like, like who in the world would want to get back from their flight and like the middle of the, their international flight in the middle of the night, get to the airport and then go stand in the taxi line instead of just having someone there to pick them up. Super, super strange. It's weird. It's really, really weird. Yeah. Uh, so over at the weird apartment, Hannah is overhearing. She is she hearing a news? She's is she listening to the police radio or the news report at this yeah, point? Yeah, she's she's added a police scanner. To her okay, radio. this is like okay. some new. She this week she added the hunting knife and the police scanner. Yeah, it's very um, it's it's very Mona esque. I feel to have the police scanner here. Uh, so she's overhearing this news report. Okay, can we just pause for a second? What do you make of the use of the? <laughs> Can we just talk for a minute? What do you make of the use of the news report or the, the news report and the police radio in this episode? I think it's like, do they think that we're going to have forgotten that Hannah is in her mid 20s and has been kidnapped? Like, <laughs> I think I think it's obvious that the 
the radio is here so that when Noel regains consciousness, he can hear the bulletin that Hannah has been found alive and understand that the police think he kidnapped her. Okay. But, like, I, 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 that, like, first of all, they could find another way to do that very easily. There could be a TV on that she's turned up to, like, drown out any noises he might make. You know, like, there are many other ways that they could have done that aside from the scanner. But the way the scanners function, it, it's just like the show is, like, constantly afraid that we're going to forget what is happening, even though they're reminding us, like, every five seconds. It's such a strange choice. Like, yeah, I don't think it does. Whatever they're trying to have it do, like, build tension, I don't think it works. I just found it really distracting. Well, it also, like, like in the previous uh, thing, they were like, Hannah is 23 years old. Here they're, like, white female, mid-20s. And it's like, <laughs> okay, so now she doesn't have an age anymore. And later we're going to get a bulletin that says, like, Noel might be armed. And it's like, what happened <laughs> now that makes you think he's armed? Like, what changed? This is all, this is all a lot. <laughs> I like the idea that the, that the report is getting, like, increasingly less specific and more specific at the same time. <laughs> might be carrying a small mouse, but we don't know her name. <laughs> making up stuff um so she hannah is like pacing around and she calls somebody says that she needs their help and she needs them to come alone Whoomst. has <laughs> hannah called Whoomst. does she trust most in the world to help her in a time of need to get her out of this mess to aid and abet her without question what devoted friend what ex-lover? What genius mastermind? Tis the Vander Jesus, of course. Oh my goodness. Hannah is sorry for roping her in, but when she saw the news, she didn't know who else to call. Mona, who I just love for this, is like, no problem, but like next time let me know before you abduct someone. It just makes my life a little bit easier. Um, Mona also has the presence of mind to search Noel, Patting him down and finding the flash drive in his sock, uh, she tells Hannah they don't need to wait for the results of the test. This flash drive proves that Noel was helping with the dollhouse. It'll put him away for a long time. Hannah is surprised, uh, but she says that she doesn't want him to go down for anything less than being AD. Mona says... Uh, nothing could actually be worse than the dollhouse. And then Hannah says the scars on her back say different. Um, this is another major plot contrivance, but I'll maybe give it to Hannah that being like alone and tortured physically, <laughs> it feels fresh and recent in a way that, you know, maybe the dollhouse isn't for her anymore. Um, Hannah says that she just needs to stay hidden for 10 more hours until the DNA test comes back which the DNA test will just prove if he's Mary Drake's child or not. That's not going to be conclusive regarding any kind of innocence or guilt, re-AD. Uh, also, the test is going to come back tomorrow regardless. Why not just get Noel in police custody now? Uh, this makes no sense. Uh, but Mona vetoes the plan of Hannah staying hidden for another 10 hours. Staying hidden, she says, is the last thing that Hannah is going to do. Um, now. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about Hannah calling Mona. Obviously, she is the best person to help you get away with a wild and illegal scheme. But also, I feel like this is about who is your person. 
Who mm -hmm. will come when you call no matter what? Who can you count on when the chips are down? Who is not gonna lecture you? Who is gonna roll up their sleeves and help you? Who is gonna walk into the room and make everything better for you? And in that sense, the kidnapping of Noel is really like the climax of the Vandermeeren love story. Hannah could call any of the liars and they would show up. She could call Caitlin. She could probably even call Jordan. But who actually knows her so well? Who does she not have to worry about getting into the muck with her? Who knows every part of Hannah and never judges her? And I think that this is also about Hannah recognizing all the parts of Mona, finally, after all this time. The parts of Mona that are A and will always be A, Hannah is finally able to be like, I know there's a significant part of you that is a criminal mastermind and another part of you that has always loved me more than anything. And now in my hour of need, mm -hmm. I am calling <laughs> on both of them. I am calling on you, all of the Monas you've ever been to me, to help me in this moment. Mm, oh, I love that. I love that a lot. Yeah, I. this is, this is one of the few... May, this may be the best scene of the episode. This is a great scene. Uh, these two together are just their chemistry, their the way that they banter back and forth. Like, I even just love the way that Mona's like when she produces the flash drive and she's like, oh, it's the flash drive. And Hannah's like, what's that? And she's like, you haven't kept up with like what's going on. And I was like, well, I've been a little busy. Like, it's just it's great. I love their banter. Uh, I think that that's so true. I think that there's like there's such a knowingness here and there's such a sort of. It's interesting, right? Because we've we're, we've been talking about the idea of knowing somebody so well that you can kind of anticipate their next move as that's sort of the shorthand for true love on PLL. And this is about Hannah making an active choice to reach out to Mona because of her knowingness of who Mona is and what Mona is to her. I also just love, like, so much of their dynamic historically has been about... Mona being sort of the unstable one and Hannah kind of being the one who has to like fight for her or defend her in some way. And I love that like Hannah is the one who's unraveling here. Hannah's the one who's maybe lost touch with reality a little bit. And like Mona is the sure, sane, calm presence here. She's the port in the storm. Um, and I also just love this from the standpoint too. And I, this is something that I wish this episode delved into more that like Mona dated Noel like Mona has this whole history with Noel as well and like presumably before the series started you know Noel and Sean being best friends like that whole dynamic of you know the parties at the concat you know all of that stuff like that is so the like the rich history of those characters is really interesting as well so yeah, I I love this scene. I love Hannah calling Mona. Of course, in my memory, this was like much a much bigger part of the episode. I think I just wanted it to be. Um, but yeah, in an episode that is so much about these sort of big sweeping romantic reunions, this really stands out as like this is the this is the romance. This is the true the truest truest romance. Yeah, I I think that it is, and also. I think that one of the reasons that Hannah calls Mona is because Mona has already proved that she will go to jail for Hannah. Um, yeah. And that, and that Hannah isn't as worried about Mona going to jail because for one thing, Mona is always going to have another plan for how she right. gets out of it. Uh, and, but also like, there's a, there's a sense of atonement here. Like Mona owes them something because she was a, and she started the game originally. And so Hannah doesn't feel 
the same way about putting her in jeopardy that she would feel about putting um, like Spencer in jeopardy or Jordan, someone who is outside yeah. the circle in jeopardy. But also I think that Hannah, like we've talked a lot about like, how much does Hannah understand about Melissa's yeah. feelings for her? And I think that here, like we kind of see that when the chips are down, Hannah knows exactly what's up. Like mm-hmm. Hannah, H- Hannah does not really have plausible deniability, I don't think, uh, about why exactly Mona is going to come the moment Hannah calls and says to come alone. I think you're right. I think you're, oh God, poor Mona too. She's like, you want me to come alone to a motel room? He <laughs> <laughs> was like, it's not quite what you think. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's so interesting too, that like, this is really the kickoff to what a lot of their 7B storyline will be, which is Hannah asking things of Mona and Mona giving and giving and giving because she doesn't know how to do anything else when it comes to Hannah. Yeah. 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 Oh, these two. I love them so much. I'm so sad that this this half season has had so much less Mona than I remembered. But she's in my memory. She's much more present in the last half, even though I really, really don't like where her storyline ends up. But we will get there. (laughs) I'm I'm so sorry that I got the Vandermeer scene and now you get to kick off another (laughs) eternal scene at the Hastings house. Okay. so Paige is here. She has brought breakfast and coffee and is delighted to be here at the Hastings house. You know, Fort Liars. She is in the inner circle. She has her invitation, her golden ticket. She is here. And Allie is not happy. Allie, in fact, is nauseous at the sight of Paige, snapping to Emily about how she doesn't like being gawked at. There's sort of like a weird thing where because everybody's just in the same location for so much of this episode, again, it's that thing where like people have to keep like leaving the room for whatever reason. So like Spencer and Aria kind of go away and Emily and Allison have a little conversation about Paige. Allison is being quite bitchy about why Paige is here, calling her pathetic and bringing up Sabrina, who things are on pause with, according to Emily. Emily says that it's just easier with Paige. Paige understands and not only A.D., but also Emily. Uh, Before they can really dive into this much further, there is some, like, kerfuffle with the police. Paige immediately gets very physically close and cozy with Emily, which causes Allie to have to go throw up. The big news here is that there are two sets of footprints outside the con cabin. Yes. Um, So, first of all, do we think that Paige got these pastries from the brew. <laughs> Paige buy these pastries from Sabrina. I think based on the pink box, yes, she did. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I know that the queer dating pool is sometimes small, but that, wow, that is a choice. Yep, yep. <laughs> Paige is like, oh, Sabrina, I just need to, you know, get these pastries for no reason whatsoever. Like Paige, because Paige is like the least subtle person ever. Like she's probably like really loudly hinting about where she's off to. <laughs> also, when Emily's like, thanks, Paige, stay as long as you like here in the house that is under siege by the police. <laughs> this is like exactly the kind of relationship that Emily is up for. Like bring yep. her and her friends some food, expect no emotional return, but stay as long as you like, as long as you don't require any attention. Like, uh, yeah. That they're like uh, a and yeah. And, and, and then when Emily is like, uh, you know, 
things with Sabrina are on pause. Like, does Sabrina know <laughs> that things are on pause? Or is this like Emily like declassified it with her mind? Like Emily pushed pause in her mind. It's just that she's actually never <laughs> calling her back. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know about that, Emily. Uh, and then Allison, uh, who you noted is wearing this oversized zip-up sweatshirt, uh, they also have her sitting with the entire kitchen island in front of her <laughs> for most of this entire scene. So, like, they're like, yeah, the sweatshirt is not even the right costume anymore. We're costuming her in the sweatshirt and the large piece of, you know, the, the large piece of set. What if Emily sent Paige to the brew to tell Sabrina that they're on a <laughs> Her and she's like, hey, Emily, what pastries do you and all of your friends want? And Emily's like, okay, we want like three everything bagels, a blueberry, a chocolate croissant, and could you tell Sabrina <laughs> that things are on pause? And Paige is like, got it. You got it. Coming right up. <laughs> but like, or is that Emily's ideal relationship? Like the relationship that is so non-existent that you can just yeah. press pause on it without even talking to the person. Right, right. It's sort of like, yeah, it's like exists in her mind in some weird way. Yeah, absolutely. Schrodinger's relationship. Oh, okay. I know it looks bad, we hear Hannah saying in voiceover. And then we have a delightful scene of Hannah reciting a story to Mona about how she wanted to prove Noel was AD and therefore she went to Hollybrook to try and find the girl that he pushed down the stairs so that they would have a credible witness against him. But she couldn't track her down. Okay, so first of all, the only evidence Noel was behind the stair push was Hannah's dream. Second, if she found that girl, what would it prove about Noel now? Nothing! Third, didn't Dream Alley say that that girl was paid off ages ago? Okay, whatever. Uh, it only has to convince the police, as Mona says. Uh, as for Hannah's friends, who Mona clearly considers herself separate from because she is Hannah's lover. Vel, your harder sell. Mona swears that she has this whole part of keeping Noel prisoner on lock. Also, the other thing that's weird too is like, so what was the lasting impact of that stair push? You know what I mean? Because it's like, we still have no idea. I mean, obviously the girl isn't dead because Hannah set out to find her. Did she die? But did she die, though? <laughs> no, like, I mean, okay, it was very dramatic that she fell down the stairs and then the police were called. But, like, were the police called because she fell down the stairs? Were the police called because there was this, like, wild drunk party where somebody got hurt? Like, Right. Yeah. It's weird. It's really, really weird. Uh, it's, so it's not like the police have been investigating unsolved stair crime this whole, <laughs> this whole time. Well, there's going to be some stair crime in this episode. Uh, <laughs> R.I.P. Noel. Um, so this is like the one artful transition of this whole episode. We transition over to the Hastings house where Hannah is giving this statement to her friends slash the police. This feels like just such a sudden end to like the Hannah is missing plot. Like it's like, oh, like we don't actually even get to see the liars reacting to seeing Hannah. It's just like. Hannah's here. Hannah's fine. Hannah's back. Like, it's so bizarre. Uh, Marco tells her that she will have to sign a statement. The other liars seem kind of gobsmacked and, like, uncertain of how to respond to this. In walks Caleb. And Hannah greets him with a very soft, hi, Caleb. And a weird thing here, like, 
I don't know if we're just meant to think like it was the impact of Mona. I don't know if we're meant to think, I don't know what we're meant to think, but like Hannah, who has been so tightly wound the past several episodes, suddenly is like very, she's like almost kind of docile for the rest of this episode. I'm going to, I'm going to chalk it up to that. Like Mona went down on her and like gave her such a good orgasm that she like finally just relaxed and like released all that tension. And now she can just kind of be very Zen and go with the flow. I mean, it's the only thing that makes sense. Someone who like someone who for the previous part of this episode was like so tense that she was like launching solo plots to like kidnap Milkan and take his blood to the lab and be nervous by the security guard. Yeah, like now she is just like, you know, her heart rate is like not getting above 60 here. Yeah, yeah. She's just really, really calm. So she says hi to Caleb. There's like lots of very intense eye contact. Yeah, but what do you make of Caleb's expression here? Like he seems glad to see her, but he also like I feel like there's something in his look where he like is maybe already kind of mad. Like this show. I think he's just mad that he didn't get to save her or maybe see maybe Caleb because Caleb does definitely have a knowingness about the Mona situation. And so maybe on some level, Caleb sees Hannah and like knows on some level like, oh, Mona was involved in this. Well, also, this is like this is like such a shell game of like Caleb and Mona are keeping tabs on Jenna. But we know that Mona's not keeping tabs on Jenna because she's watching Noel. But now Caleb also is not watching Jenna because he's here at the house. And then later they're both going to be back at the Radley watching for Jenna. It's all yes. it's all a bit of a mess. And also possibly the Jenna they've been watching this whole time has been Sydney. But like we don't actually know. Well, one of the Jennas was actually Jenna because they were listening to her talk on the phone. They were like listening to her voice. Right. right. Yeah. Well, well to, to be determined. Yes. TBD. Um, okay. So now the police scanner is reporting that Hannah Marin has been found alive just as Noel regains consciousness alone in the lair with duct tape over his mouth. Bum, bum, bum. Uh, so it, this is probably maybe the other good scene of this episode. Jenna is applying her jungle red lipstick in the Radley elevator when Mona walks in. She makes a remark about Jenna's lip color and kind of the the importance of knowing when something isn't working for you anymore. And Jenna snaps saying, enough with the makeup tips. What what do you want? Mona says that she is here to make an offer. Uh, If Jenna gets out of town, they will say that she had nothing to do with this whole situation once Noel is uh, captured and, as Mona says, is singing like a canary. As always, like the scenes with these two, first of all, obviously, goes without saying, lots of sexual tension. Um, But also, like, Mona is kind of speaking in, like, the 1940s cadence. Like, she references, like, Bonnie and Clyde and singing (laughs) like a canary. Um, it's great. I love the way that Mona like sounds kind of vaguely flirty through this whole scene. Clearly, they should just make out so that Mona can try that jungle red for herself. <laughs> oh man, hearty agreement. And especially like you were talking about the rich history of these characters, like that Mona dated Noel, that he broke up with her and hooked up with Jenna. Like they have, you know, there there's a whole complicated history there as well. Well, it would have been so great because remember that scene when I don't even this must have been in 6B, I guess, when that really creepy elevator scene between Mona and Caleb where she asked him, like, who kisses better, me, Spencer or Hannah? Um, It would have been great if they had, like, called that back somehow with this scene and Noel. And then Jenna was like, well, the only way to find out is for us to kiss. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, if Mona's like, well, what I need to do is keep tabs on Jenna. So the way that I do that <laughs> is to just get her into the hotel room uh, and keep her occupied for, you know, the next 12 hours. Uh, yeah. Someone has to do it. Yeah, um, yeah. It's a hard job, but I think I'm up for it. <laughs> okay, so Hannah is on the phone with her mom saying, it's all fine. Stay at your conference in London. Uh, there is a cop outside the door of the loft, but Caleb, he is staying too, gosh darn it, despite Hannah saying that she would rather be alone. He doesn't believe it. He doesn't believe she's okay. He doesn't believe her whole story about Noel. And the last time he left her alone in a room, she got taken by AD, so she is just stuck with him. Then he gives her one of those speeches that the liar men are so fond of, like a rundown of all the ways that he knows her so well better than she even knows herself. Um, it includes gems about her letting dishes grow mold and eating cold fries in bed and not admitting that they are meant to spend the rest of their lives together. Uh, it's really, and it's coming from like this place of anger and exasperation. I think this is maybe supposed to be kind of like a Bridget Jones, Mark Darcy thing where like, he tells her like all the things that are like silly and goofy about her and then that he likes her anyway. I think this is supposed to like maybe this generation of TV writers like came up with that being like a big romantic inspiration. Um, but he seems like angry and exasperated with her. Uh, Hannah, though, finds it charming and soon they are kissing and all issues of lying, respect and incompatibility are forgotten. <sighs> I hated this scene. I just really, this scene just grossed me out. It bummed me out. Like, neither of these people seem to like each other at all. It's just like the 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 slow chug of the OTP has caught up to them. Um, and this is like, you know, we've been talking about for a while. It's like, can't they just get back together earlier? Like, it just doesn't, you know, like it's obviously they wanted to save it for the finale. But I just like... I there there would have been ways to reunite them that I could have gotten behind. I do think that. I don't think that this relationship was so far gone that I would have liked that there's no version of them getting back together that I would have liked. But like I just this just I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like the this sort of weird like every relationship at this point is treated it's it's just like this weird like kind of passive aggression or in this case aggression aggression. Um and and I also just think that it's like the the you know angry love confession has been done so many times. We didn't and need better and better. Like we didn't need the the lazy hate spin on it. Um, I also think it's super clunky to be like, and you won't admit that we're meant to spend the rest of our lives together. Like just say that I love you. You know what I mean? Like it's such a like overly writerly way to do. Anyway, I don't like it. <laughs> That's my review of this scene. <laughs> don't like, don't want. Agree. <laughs> yeah. Um, so God, we are just really, we are, we are entering the, the valley of the shadow here. So <laughs> and this is like what we're talking about, about the pacing, like yes. all of this is crammed into like, we're not even at 20 minutes in this episode yet. And they're just like cramming so much, uh, like it's like a trash compactor. Yeah. Yeah. It's like all like right in the middle. So Emily is crashing in Allison's and I think it's 
really funny that this scene starts and Emily is just like kind of like just like blithely gossiping about like oh didn't want to be there with you know Hannah and Caleb hook it up by the way I think Hannah was lying about that whole Noel Khan thing like what do you think girl let's gab and meanwhile Allison walks out of the bathroom with a thousand yard stare just like just like you know all color drained from her face pure horror she announces she is pregnant Allison is pregnant. Do, do you want to take? I can take commercial break. I can take the second. You're, you're half. already. You're already. I'm already there. I'm already in it. Might as well. No, only way out is through. So, presumably, a little bit of time later, Hannah and Emily are sitting down. Allison. Uh, I'm sorry. Al- Emily and Allison are sitting down. Allison is very tearful. Emily, tactfully, asks if the baby is Archer's. And Allie is like, of course the baby is Archer's. Um, she says she thought that they were careful. She can't believe that this is happening. Emily says that it's going to be okay. She doesn't have to make any decisions right now. Allie says that she thought that her mom would be here. Even though she wouldn't give good advice, at least Allison wouldn't be alone. And Emily takes her hand and says that she is that, that Allie is not alone, that Emily is here, and she will be here for whatever Allie decides to do. Now, why this could not have happened after Allie's marriage broke up and minus a pregnancy, like why it couldn't have been that Emily came to stay with Allison after she got back from Welby and Allison was like, I feel so scared about my future. I feel so alone. And Emily was like, I get it. And I'm here and I'm not going anywhere. And whoops, turns out we still have big gay feelings for each other. Like, why? Why did it have to be this? You ask an excellent question and one for which I have no answer. It's just, it's, it's, ugh. I just, this is awful. I hate it. So at Prezra's, Aria has whipped up a giant meal and like a huge wine <laughs> bottle candle situation. Uh, <laughs> And in addition to, like, the police scanner and the news footage that we're constantly seeing in this episode, we also have, like, the the voicemails. Like, the voicemails that you're leaving for people who yes. are not able to talk to you right now. Uh, Arya is leaving one of these to say, like, oh, don't worry about the cop outside your door when you get home. I'll explain when you get here. Can't wait to see you. Bye. <laughs> and so... Yeah, good, good going there, Aria. I'm sure this is all going to work out just great for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whistling through a graveyard, Aria Montgomery. Yeah. I think I didn't go back and look. I think she's even wearing an apron in this yeah, scene. Yeah, she's all she's very dressed up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Um. So Marco shows up. Oh, also the timeline of this whole night is just fine. like. <laughs> Because, like, later, because, like, Arya says here, like, you're still in the air. So, presumably, again, his plane's still in the air. And then, like, a little bit later, she's going to be, like, it's been, like, hours later and he hasn't come home. But, like, Hannah and Caleb, I think, are, like, still having sex. Like, it's just weird. It's just, I don't know what's going on. Um, So, Spencer is just, like, staying at the Hastings house now for some reason. I don't know why. Like, I don't know if they lost the barn set. I'm not sure what's going on. But anyway, um, 
Marco shows up with like the comforting anecdote that he's stationed cops outside all of the liars' houses, and ooh, he's taken the night shift. Let me just invite myself into your house, little lady, and like remind you that I'm a police officer in a really creepy way. He has brought like presumably Spencer's favorite Italian food and a cherry soda for her uh, via some info from Toby. Uh, this is an interesting moment where, like, Spencer seems to kind of, like, it's clear that Toby provided this information. And even though Marco does this little thing about, like, I never snitch on my informants because, remember, I'm a cop. Um, but it's clear that, like, it means something to Spencer that Toby is actually wanting her to move on, you know. Um, Spencer agrees for him to stay for him to stay and they're going to have their little sort of like quasi date, not date um, question for you is at this point of the episode, which couple is the grossest? Oh boy. Um, at this point in the episode, I think it's probably Caleb and they're like passive aggressive uh, love confession followed by, I guess, hate sex that they're going to have. <laughs> Um, also there we'll, we'll get to it, but like, they're going to get it on, on like this faux fur polar bear rug, which, you know, we've discussed how I yes. feel about like these, these faux fur situations that people are, people are just find so romantic on the show. Um, which I think, I mean, this is presumably Lucas's faux polar bear faux fur. Oh, um, but that's a plus for Lucas. He's like a Haleb. There's like a Haleb sex juice on this thing. But I mean, it's probably really crunchy because there's like some Lucas. Oh, I mean, I'm just. Well, also. Haleb okay. is my I'll, answer. I'll, I'll let you talk about this scene, but then I have stuff to say about it too. <laughs> okay. Um, also, like in this Marco scene with Spencer, I feel like when he's at the door, it's like he's making his protection of her dependent on her willingness to have a meal with him which is like yes like she it is not really an option for her to be like there's so much going on I would really prefer to just be by myself right now nope yes yes he is not willing to like give her half the food and then he goes out to his squad car that does not appear to be an option no it's like date or you die basically yeah 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 Yeah, not not the best. Also, I kind of feel like um, I kind of feel like we know that he knows that she has been stalked before. So, like, like maybe laying off this like I know so much about you that you haven't told me, little girl routine. Um, you know that that just might be some free advice that I have. I think that's Marco. Excellent advice. Oh, okay. At the loft. Uh, Haleb are disrobing. Uh, he sees the new scars on her back. We have like a shot of a scar on his arm. Um, so the show seems to be being like, look, their scars match, which is also gross. Um, he like lets down Hannah's hair. Uh, they have sex in front of a fire on a furry, furry like polar bear faux, I hope, for rug. Uh, this goes on for a full minute. Nothing but Haleb sexy time here in the Lucas Loft. And did you notice the lyrics of the song that are playing? Tell us about them, Vina. <laughs> the song lyrics that keep repeating over and over again as Haleb sex commences is, 
in too deep. I'm in too deep. In too deep. I'm in too deep. Which I presume is a callback to when they first had sex and there was that pink song about do you ever invite a stranger to come inside. But that was like, I, that was a gross lyric. But I actually really quite like the Haleb, like the first time that Haleb have sex scene. I think it's a really lovely scene. I like that like Hannah is so sure. I, I just, I think that's a great scene. I do not think this is a great scene. I do not like this. I just, I do not, I, it's also like, it's just weird, weirdly very like ceremonial. Like we shall lean on the, <laughs> of the fireplace and commence our lovemaking. Like, it's just, yeah, not a fan. No, not a fan. super, super strange choices all the way around. So from that moment to a couch, where Emily and Allison are watching a movie. Um, Allison is crying. Emily wipes a tear from her eye. And Allie goes in for a kiss. I mean, kiss is like a very generous word for what transpires. It's like a bare brushing of the lips. Emily pulls away. She warns that Allison's really vulnerable right now. And Allie says that that isn't why she promises this time they both lean in for, I'm going to generously call a peck, a peck on the lips. It seems dry and passionless. It seems almost like the kind of kiss, you know, like, you know, families where there's like families that kiss on the lips, like parent and child and that kind of thing. It sort of seems like a little bit like that kind of kiss. This is what Emerson gets. Caleb and Caleb are coming inside and uh, Emerson gets... A little brush on the lips. I think I I think you're underselling this. I also like this is not my favorite Emerson kiss of all time, but this kiss lasts three entire seconds, which is more okay. gay kissing than we've gotten since like season five. Okay. So uh it it you know it lasts three seconds once they kiss again, and there's like some hands on cheeks, so it's like you know there, there are- there's some some deliberateness to it. Um but listen, maybe is this Emily's ideal relationship? Make out with no communication or expectations? Like, everyone's really trying to figure it out here. Like, is it Sabrina? Like, actually don't ever talk to her or make any demands. Uh, Paige, bring her food and require no attention. Allison, make out and never talk about it. Like, which which of these do you think is, like, the, the most oh. successful for Emily? I actually think the Sabrina situation probably <laughs> like it's just like pause, unpause, pause, unpause. Um, but I actually I like this scene. Um, I remember when it okay. first aired, I was like not super into it, but in the rewatch, I like this scene uh, because I feel like it echoes some of the Hannah and Mona stuff from earlier. Like when hmm. the chips are down. Who do you trust? When things are bleak, who do you turn to? Who is your person who's going to walk in and make any situation better? And I feel like for Allison, that's Emily. And it's always been Emily. I'll I'll give you that. I just, I, it's just so lazy. Like there's just like the, it, the, the scraps are so thin and it's just like, it's been so badly plotted. Like, I mean, 
I'm not I'm not saying that it's like a great romantic moment in like a Casablanca type of you know sense um but I'm taking it like we don't get a lot of Emerson this is a scene where they're kissing this is a scene where like you can tell that they are still important to each other this is a scene that you watch and you could walk away and not be like they're such good friends like this is a scene that's that true is overtly romantic overtly romantic um and i you know at the end of the day i am still an emerson shipper at heart uh, i'm i'm wearing my emerson shirt tonight uh, in honor <laughs> in, in honor, honor of this small moment that they have. by the way your emerson shirt which is like so much steamier than anything they ever talked about the show <laughs> yeah 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 <clears throat> okay i, I you know, you are being you are being very kind. You're being very generous and loving with this scene. I think it's kind of trash, but I will let you have it. We can we can agree to disagree. We can agree to okay. disagree. Okay. We can. We can. Um, I mean, there's a lot of trash in this episode that we don't need to argue about. No, no, <laughs> it's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. And I don't want to yuck anyone's yum. You know, if this scene works for you, I respect that. I do. So Aria is on the phone with the airline, trying to find out what has become of. Ezra Fitz. Uh, they will not give her any info. The plane apparently landed a long time ago. He's still not here. He could be in a ditch somewhere. And of course, the airline is like, we only give that information to family members and spouses. So like, just being his fiance, like, the, the airline representative is practically like, you're nothing. <laughs> you're not Ezra's wife. Um, so yeah, but fortunately, uh, while Aria is trying to like get info out of the airline representative, the news, which like the news in Rosewood has just been like all day long. It's been like Hannah Marin kidnapped, not kidnapped. Now, Nicole Gordon found in, uh, in the wilds of South America. Uh, and we see that Nicole Gordon has been found alive. Uh, Prezra is there. She rushes into his arms, and Arya, God bless Arya Montgomery. What does she do upon seeing this? She fucking rewinds that part to watch it again. She's like, Oh, it pierces my heart. Let's have it again and again <laughs> and again. Uh, and so she watches it over with a look of just abject horror on her face. Yeah, I need another dose of that sweet pain. <laughs> Yeah, I and I just love the idea that like Prezra is right there as she's being like dragged out of the jungle, still covered in mud. You know, like it's <laughs> for her. Go, but also like he was already gonna come home. He was like this search for they they weren't ever gonna know it was Nicole until Nicole like appeared and was like, hey, I'm Nicole. But like, yet he was still there at the edge of the jungle, uh, right? Like a big damn hero. I like the idea that he was like he like got the he was like at the airport and he like got the call or like saw a news thing that was like we're about to bring her out we're about to bring her out and he was like wait a minute don't bring her out yet I gotta be let her sit there a few more minutes it's been a lot it's been long enough you know she can she can handle a little bit longer yeah oh this scene my goodness <laughs> so first of all Toby's house is suddenly finished perfectly you know painted the whole shebang it's been sold like wow what progress he made how quickly when someone he's he's so he's he's outside he's getting ready to leave he's kind of packing up the car saying his like manly goodbye to the house he built with his own two hands and someone with spencer's face 
approaches. This someone we should note is wearing the same pink sweater that someone with Spencer's face was wearing at the end of the last episode. And in retrospect, we have been and will continue to be critical of elements of the Alex Drake conception and performance. But I actually think the best parts of Alex Drake are when she is pretending to be Spencer. And I think on rewatch, you can tell that this is Alex because she's a little bit more prickly. She's a little bit more like feral. She has this kind of feral look in her eyes. She's a little more evasive. She's a little, a little cooler, a little slipperier. Um, And Toby notes that it's surprising that she's here because he thought that she was on lockdown. She says it's all fine. She's been hanging out with a cop. It's all good. Nothing to worry about. And she has this kind of slightly spooked expression in her eyes that you could be like, oh, just normal Spencer Spencer PTSD. Or you could be like, oh, this is Alex Drake testing the waters here. She then hands him a book of poetry, which he recognizes as being the one from her nightstand. And she says she wants him to have it. She tells him that she's happy for him, that he deserves this big, all-consuming love. He thanks her, and he says that he hopes she finds the same. She turns to walk away. She turns back around and says, Toby, can I kiss you just one last time, just to say goodbye? In what is a, like, a moment that would be fucked up if it was Spencer asking Toby. Like, that would be one layer of fucked up. But then you add in the fact that this is Alex Drake doing this to Toby under the pretense of being Spencer. Oh, boy. They kiss and there's like sunlight glinting off of them. And there's a real vibe that like this might be the last time we ever see Toby. Like it really feels like he is leaving and or possibly about to be killed. Um, She kisses him, turns around without another word and storms off like the agent of chaos that we will soon learn her to be. So what do you think about Toby here? Uh, Yeah. So he doesn't really agree. He doesn't say yes to kissing Spencer, but then he kisses the person wearing Spencer's face for a full 10 seconds, which, I mean, I was happy with the Emerson scene earlier, but I'm still counting how much more time all of the hetero ships get. what, what do we think about him being willing to kiss someone wearing Spencer's face? And what do we think about the fact that they are like the OTP, but he he kisses Alex Drake and he doesn't even realize that it's not Spencer? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do think it's a little bit hard to fault him for that because, like, it feels like if he kissed her and it was like something's weird – Secret twin would not probably be high on the list. Like, you'd probably be like, oh, she, like, she's in a weird mood or she's on her period. Or she's like, you'd be like, okay, something else must be off. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think, obviously, this is such a plot contrivance moment, right? Because, like, first of all, it's like you want to, you know, now, like, all of the OTPs are kissing in the finale. And actually, weirdly, except for Presria. Um and, you know, it gives you, like, a th- something to put in the promos. And it gives you, like, that spark of, like, maybe Spoby isn't dead and all of that. I think I think it's a totally weird request. I also think that Toby, at this point, has a lot of pity for Spencer. Like, mm. I think he sees that Spencer's life is, like, in a pretty bad place right now. And in his mind, he's, like, he's found his dream girl. He's leaving town. He's getting out. Uh, something that Spencer is not doing at this point. And maybe he feels like almost path of least resistance this is something he can offer her 
I also think we should acknowledge that, like, Toby, this is not the first time that, like, a, a woman has made a request or a demand of Toby to be physically intimate with him. So, like, there might be an element of, like, a trauma response happening here. I don't know that that's consciously in the mind of the writers, but I do think it's something that, like, we should acknowledge. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I I mean... I have to say, like, part of me loves this scene just because it is so fucked up. But, like, it's also terrible. Like, this is an awful thing that happens for, like, a variety of reasons, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what 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 about you? What's your take on this scene? Uh, I, you know what? It's, it is so fucked up. But I like this scene more knowing that it's Alex Drake. Like, we didn't yeah. know, like... We didn't know that Alex Drake really existed at this point when the show was originally on. Like, there was talk about twins, but, like, there was always talk about twins. So it's, you know, yeah. like, whatever. Um, but I, I think that it gives it, like, many more layers. And I like it being Alex more than I like it being Spencer just chasing oh, after sure. Tobey for no reason. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. And it's also, in retrospect, so obvious that it's Spencer. <laughs> or that it's not Spencer, because it's, like... Right. Then it's not referenced at all. Spencer's in different clothes. Like, it's, of course, this isn't Spencer. But I, but the other thing, too, is, like, this is a weird way in which, like, the disjointed nature of the writing right now almost helps conceal the twist. Because you're like, well, I guess Spencer could do that and then not reference it in, in a different <laughs> outfit. Like, weirder things have happened, you know? <laughs> yeah, weirder things will happen in this very episode. Exactly. So, shrug. <sighs> all right. Oh, this scene. Ooh. Okay, okay, I'm in, I'm in, I'm ready for it. All right, okay. so Emerson are sleeping on the couch. Did they have sex? They're stretched out. Allison's head is resting on Emily's chest. They are both fully clothed. Emily is wearing pajamas with a button-up top that is still fully buttoned, but like the ghost train, Queers on the show always redress elaborately after maybe having or not having sex. Uh, and speaking of the ghost train, we hear Paige's voice outside. A cop is hassling her, but Paige just wants to talk to her friend. Emily goes outside, and Paige is there to remind her that today is the day their job paperwork is due. What paperwork? Didn't we see them filling out an application? Didn't they already have interviews? Is there an essay section of this <laughs> of the swim coach situation? And why is it a brown envelope that Paige hands to Emily? Did Paige fill it out for her? Nothing <laughs> makes sense. Anyway, Paige wants to go to breakfast, but Emily gives her the old Helson is really going through something, to which Paige calls bullshit. Um, she says Allie saw them getting close again and is trying to drive a wedge between them. Emily says, no, no, she can't talk about it, but this is for real. Allie needs her. Uh, Paige says, you know what? This is the same old story, the same old Allie. Emily is still her puppet, and she should call Paige when she decides to cut the strings. And Paige rides away angrily on her bike. Um, This is hilarious that Paige is on her bike rather than being like an adult person who is driving a car. Uh, The whole job paperwork thing is nonsense. And this is, like, another example of just the really, like, wildly inconsistent writing of Paige's character. Yeah. But, but here is the thing. Emily is right. Allison is going through something. And here's the other thing. Paige is also right. Allison did react to seeing Paige and Emily getting close. 
by acting in the same way that she always has. She kisses Emily because she is still trying to see if Emily is enough in love with her to kiss her back. If she still matters more than Paige and Sabrina and whoever else wants on Emily's dance card. Um, she's not making any promises or declarations. She's still going to keep Emily guessing about what it all means. But here is the main thing, the thing that just breaks my heart. That doesn't mean that Allison isn't really in love with Emily. It means that she is, but she's just never known what to do with it. She's never known how to show it. Um, think about every romantic relationship Allison has ever had. Think about her parents' marriage. Like she has never learned how to do this any differently. Yeah. Uh, and there's also something here about the way that Paige still sees the world like a person who hasn't had their entire perspective completely warped by trauma. Like she sees this as a straightforward relationship power move, whereas Emily can only see it as part of this whole big mess of like murder and madness and stalking. And now like the con man, ex-husband, murder victim's baby. Um, on top of all this, I love the way that Paige legitimately understands Allison's feelings for Emily in a way that no one else does. Like not even Allison, maybe uh, for mm -hmm. sure. Not Emily because Paige has been in that place. Like that kiss and run away place that Emily is the only thing that makes sense, but also it's terrifying place. Um, Paige understands all of that implicitly. Yeah. Yeah. Once again, you are making this episode much more, uh, much more interesting than <laughs> Kind of what's happening textually, I feel. Okay, okay, listen. I feel like I I feel like uh as you know, I was a big Emerson shipper when the show was on. And then the way that Emerson like ended, I felt, you know, and, and with the perfectionists where they're like already getting divorced, like I was so I was so heartbroken over like kind of what happened to Emerson. Um but like watching this now, I I feel like, oh man, I've been like I've been so thirsty for so long for Emerson yeah. uh, that now that it's here, I'm just like, oh, Emerson, I'm drinking it in. Uh, and also uh, one of our listeners had like kind of uh, emailed us about the pug prosal and about like yeah. kind of a different view on it. And I will say that that also kind of like rekindled some of my fondness uh, for Emerson as a ship. And so, yeah, here I am. I'm into it. Um, and, and I also like, I'm just going to say the way that Paige understands Allison here, um, you know, if Emily leaves town again, I, I could get behind like an Allison Paige pairing. I, yes, I love the, 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 a lot, I mean, a lot of this episode, a lot of what we've been talking about this episode is kind of about knowingness, who knows you. Um, and Paige totally has this knowingness of Allison. Uh, the, one of the, my notes on this scene is like, Paige totally says the quiet part loud here. Like, <laughs> Yes, Paige. Yep. Everything you're saying is right. And oh boy, is this the wrong move? Of, like, like this is this is also Paige and Emily's pattern, right? Is that Emily and Allison have their little circle that they've drawn around themselves. And Paige starts like poking at it and plucking at it and trying to disrupt it. And then is really upset when that doesn't get the results that she wants. Like, I think an, a, a thing that I actually do think is pretty interesting in this is like, they are all kind of acting like versions of their teenage selves. Um, and, but there's also this element of like, obviously they're dealing with this very adult problem, which is like Allison being pregnant. And like Paige is enough of an adult too 
to be able to kind of like say some of the things she wouldn't have been able to say before. The other thing too, though, Paige, like, you know, calling Emily her girlfriend and, you know, showing up and being so upset with the police and saying like, they wouldn't let me see you. You know, obviously like some of this is just like classic them trying to make Paige seem evil, but it's also like Paige being Paige and Paige like not knowing how to dial it back and like not knowing how to not be the most all of the time. And I do kind of like that after getting to see a glimpse of kind of like cool, suave Paige when she first showed back up, there is something a little bit refreshing about like, oh, Paige, you're still Paige. You're still paging around. <laughs> well, also, we've talked about, like, what is Emily's ideal, like, relationship level? Like, is it yes. mentally pausing things with Sabrina? Is it, like, stay as long as you want, Paige, now that you've brought all these, you know, pastries, as long as I don't have to interact with you again? Uh, or is it, like, Allison, like, kiss and never talk about it again? But I'll tell you one thing that it is not. It is not, like, be shouting at the police outside the window and then, like, causing a scene on the street. That's not it. That is far, far, far from it, uh, as I think Paige is on some level aware. Not the way to Emily's heart. No. So over at the sex loft, uh, Hannah wakes up with very messy hair in Caleb's shirt to her phone ringing. She goes to answer it. And has the news that the DNA results are not a match. Noel is not Mary's secret child. Uh, it feels very classic, Hannah, that she like mentions hot dogs and beards as things that possibly could have contaminated the test results. Also, maybe like, you know, the genes that she like cut through to get to <laughs> Noel's blood, perhaps. Um, but Hannah then sends out an SOS saying she's really uh, she's really messed up. She's really she's really messed up this one. So back over at Spencer's, Hannah is coming clean about having kidnapped Noel and how he actually is not Mary's son. But he might still be A.D. He pushed a girl down the stairs, a piece of info that is now just being accepted as true. Uh, Again, we learn that his parentage is not proof of his guilt or innocence. Um, And they decide that what they should all do is just ask Noel if he's A.D., uh, they will sneak away from their police escort after dark. Now, it's confusing because this seems like it's the next day, right? Like, Emily yeah. woke up, Hannah woke up. So it's like the morning, and they're all like, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to wait until it's dark out, and then we're going to sneak. Sneaky, sneaky, sneak. Um, I, like, Aria is in many ways the MVP for the rest of the episode for me. And it begins here when she's like... <laughs> well, we could just ask Noel. I think it is so funny the way that she presents that. Um, So later we see that the liars have created a fake recording of all of them talking about, um, you know, how they're all so concerned about Noel. I feel like they've done this before, right? They've done the fake recording to throw off the cops thing. I Maybe. I feel like they have, or they've done something similar. Um, In reality though, they are arriving at the motel. Aria asks if Hannah remembered to water and feed him. They open the door and Spencer says, or, or what does she say? Like, or tie him up because <laughs> there is no Noel Khan. And this is where Aria, this is, this. I had a genuine laugh out loud moment here where they're like, this is bad. This is really bad. And Aria goes, this is really very, not very good. Which like Aria never changed. I love a group liars freak out. They realize that Noel took the camera. 
weirdly nobody is mentioning Mona in all of this and like what Mona did or did not do like it this this is such a weird plot holy moment um but just then Hannah gets a text with an address and a request to swap over the thumb drive for the camera I had a genuine laugh in this scene when uh <laughs> when Hannah is like, oh no, he took the camera and now he can make it look like I kidnapped him. And Allison is like, you did kidnap him! <laughs> I feel like this is one of those, like, the, the, the jokes in this scene make me feel like the writers did remember that PLL used to yeah. be fun. Like, this, this dialogue is pretty fun. Although you're right, like, why no one mentions, like, oh, Mona is keeping track of him. I wonder what has happened. Um, no follow-up, no, no questions, no concerns. No, and it's weird because it makes it seem like Mona was involved in helping him escape, possibly. Right. But that's not ever mentioned as a possibility. No, we never find out any more information on how he got no. out of here or, or what was going on. Or even um, what Mona's part in allegedly cleaning all of this up was. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, because over at the Radley, Mona and Caleb are having coffee and keeping watch. Um, why are they keeping watch? If they want Jenna to lead them to Noel, Mona had Noel. Um, whatever. There's a cute moment of them kind of preparing each other's coffees, uh, and then someone wearing sunglasses and navigating with a white cane appears. Uh, they bring two drinks over to their table, and lo, it's Sydney! Why she's doing this reveal is a question, but hi, Sydney! very heterosexual of you to come back and impersonate Jenna after all this time and to take her side in this beef. <laughs> but also, I had a beef reference too! <laughs> but also, wouldn't this reveal have worked better if we were seeing them having like watched this, you know, Jenna lookalike at the bar or in the lobby for hours and then found out it wasn't Jenna as it is, it's just super odd that she's like, hey, it's me, Sydney, in my Jenna costume. It's so weird. It's This is another one where it's like, surely there was a scene deleted. It or cut. It got cut or Somewhere. a piece of something. It's very, it's very, very weird. It doesn't seem, it really just seems like Sydney was like, I wanted a reveal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back. Um. Yeah, it. I, I do. I do kind of enjoy the theatricality of Sydney, even though it's so weird that she's back in this way at this time, in this circumstance. Like it's, it's so. It's like what Sydney, and like I feel like, like I feel like when Mona is like Sydney, like it's kind of like, did anyone remember Sydney? Like, <laughs> where's the beef, indeed? Oh God, Sydney, who I think I once called eighth index irrelevant. Yeah, um, yeah she's back. <laughs> I have I have developed a strange fondness for Sydney, and I don't know why. Because like she's such a nothing character, but like she's so odd that I'm just kind of like, sure, whatever, bring it on, Namaste, bitches. Um, so Toby and Yvonne are still finishing packing up, and Toby is like, "Huh, isn't it so strange that we don't know who bought this house? I don't think that'll be relevant later." Um, <laughs> Avon, like, I feel like this scene was almost, like, laughably, like, domestic, because they're, like, in front of their little picket fence house, Yvonne goes inside to get the sandwiches that she made, and Toby leans on his truck, typing out a text to Spencer that he quickly deletes and decides, seemingly, to not send her anything. Okay. 
has several questions. Okay. Why are they leaving in the middle of the night? Great question. Why are they eating middle of night sandwiches? <laughs> Another great question. <laughs> it's an anytime food, really. <laughs> I mean, I, you can eat a sandwich whenever you want to, but like, I feel like leaving for a big journey, like I could even see if they were getting up really early in the morning. They were like, okay, we want to like hit the road. We want to beat traffic, whatever. But like leaving at like, I don't know what time is it? Like 10 o'clock at night, nine o'clock. It just seems weird. It seems weird to like leave for your cross country journey uh, at night rather than in the morning, unless you're like on a swing shift or something. Well, also because this was like Toby's last day as a cop too. So it's like he's like worked right. this whole shift and then he's like, get in the car, get those sandwiches going. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. So the liars, <sighs> they're going into a haunted house. It's like surrounded by fog. It's like a Scooby-Doo mansion, basically. Like yeah. imagine that. This is where they're going to. It's really creepy. Uh, inside, it's still creepy. And Mary Drake is, like, lurking around unseen by the liars. We get, like, one image of, like, her and her. She's, like, hooded uh, as they're coming in. Uh, they discover that it used to be a school for the blind. They talk about if Jenna may have come here when she first lost her sight. Uh, and then Jenna's voice comes over a speaker and says, she didn't lose her sight. They took it from her. Hannah says they have the flash drive. They're told to leave it on the table, and they do. The liars hear the sounds of Hannah's video coming from upstairs. They head up the creaky stairs, and then the door slams behind them, and the flash drive is, of course, gone. Of course. Uh, so upstairs, they follow the sound of uh, Hannah's video into a weird baby room where the liars, like, very readily accept this idea that this is where they learned to care take care of kids. A normal part of blind school, I guess. Um, Emily picks up a creepy baby, setting down her phone in the process for some godforsaken reason. I wouldn't set anything down in this place. Uh, Hannah grabs for the camera. This place is, like, filled with lots of, like, weird little, like, knickknacks and stuff. But, like, the lighting is kind of too bad to really see what's going on. Yeah. Uh, like, also, they get the camcorder, but for no good reason, they then go explore a second creepy room that is full of skeletons and suits of armor and taxidermy tigers. Yeah, and, like, fetal pigs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, apparently all, which are also part of blind school. Like, apparently you need the taxidermy saber-toothed tiger so that you can learn, like, what its teeth feel like. And if you ever encounter it out in the world, you'll be like, oh, I don't want to mess with that saber-toothed tiger. Um, <laughs> now I'll know how to save a baby from it, apparently. <laughs> yeah, it's very strange. Uh, so Allison kind of wisely suggests that they just kind of get the fuck out of there. And then as they're in the process of this like GTFO, they're going down the stairs, Emily realizes that she left her phone upstairs in the creepy baby room. Jesus, Emily. <laughs> uh, Hannah agrees to go back up with her. And I feel like this moment too is about atonement. Like they wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Hannah. So if someone has to go back upstairs with Emily, it's gonna be her. Yeah, I agree with that. 
Uh, so they go back up, and then, whoa, suddenly, Noel is behind them. And he, like, Noel is now the Terminator, essentially. <laughs> and he's he's the Nolanator. Um, and he's like, do you really think we'd let you leave alive? You know too much. Uh, and they kind of, like, cower and run into one of the creepy rooms, ducking down behind a shelf in a classic liar move as Noel follows. He's also kind of Michael Myers-esque. Like, he's doing that very slow, menacing walk and kind of monologuing as he walks. Uh, oh, do you want to take us to downstairs? Well, I just want to ask what you make of Noel saying, did you really think we would let you leave? You know too much. They do? I feel like they know very little. What do they know? <laughs> Maybe I, I, the the dollhouse stuff, maybe. But they've already told the police. I don't know. Maybe I. I mean, the thing is, like, Noel's gonna die in thirty seconds, and so like, there's so much about Noel that we don't know, <laughs> and so like, maybe there's something about Noel that we don't know that the liars also don't know that he thinks they know, or something. Okay. Okay. Um, now, I mean, I know we're not supposed to think about it too much, but, like, are Noel and Jenna freelance murdering people at this point? Because, <laughs> like, Charlotte would not have given the green light to killing the liars. Like, Alex Drake, I don't think, would give the green light to killing them at this point. And, like, is Mary Drake on site because she's working with Alex Drake? But then <laughs> she's going to double-cross Jenna and Noel? Or is she, like, working with Jenna and Noel? Or spying on Jenna and Noel? I think a thing is happening here. And again, I'm, I'm maybe I'm giving the storyline way too much credit. I think a thing is happening here where we're sort of meant to feel like, okay, there could have been this trade of the camera for the flash drive. It could have been this sort of like clean ish getaway, right? Let bygones be bygones. You, you know, we each have our own collateral, whatever. And I sort of think what's happening here is that Jenna and Noel are being so consumed by vengeance and by sort of the things that they haven't been able to put behind them, that they are both acting not from a rational, like, ooh, seven chess moves ahead, AD, you know, like, we're, this was all our grand plan kind of thing way, that both of them are kind of kind of losing their grip on whatever this game was and sort of giving into this like base need to hurt the liars. Okay. Okay. I'll take it. That makes much okay. more sense than anything that we're seeing on the show. So, okay. all right. Got okay. it. Got it. <laughs> That's the explanation um, we're going with. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, downstairs, the other liars wonder what's taking Hannah and Emily so long. Then another figure appears it is Jenna, blind as ever, and pointing a gun. Uh, and we're going to get a bunch of scenes where Jenna is pointing a gun, and it's, like, right at them. Uh, she's heading for them, but then does not hear them, smell them, or sense them. Uh, she just turns and heads upstairs instead. Uh, you know, lucky for them, this whole house must smell like Vicks VapoRub or something. And Jenna is just, like, not able uh, to use her normal superpowers of deducing where the liars are. It's so strange because, like, they're talking not that quietly. 20 <laughs> seconds. I, I do think, like, I, 
I do not like the, as always, I do not like the way that like Jenna's blindness is treated in this episode. And I think like there is this element of like the blind girl with a gun that we're supposed to be kind of, we almost was to sort of gawk at that a little bit. However, I do think that there are some nice moments of tension here with the liars trying to like not freak out too loud while Jenna's waving a gun around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So back upstairs, Noel picks up an axe saying that he taught Jenna a lot of things. But one thing that Jenna taught both him and Charlotte was how to smell fear. To which I say, what the fuck happened to, like, the Noel of yore? Like, who is this Terminator, Michael Myers, serial killer? What is going on? And also, like, Jenna, okay, Jenna has, like, a pretty understandable gripe with the liars. But, like, what is it exactly that the liars have done to, like, irrevocably you know, change Noel's life for the worse. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was like some petty high school stuff, but like. Well, and also like he and Allison used to be tight. Yes. Yeah. And all of this stuff with Noel too is so not specific to Allison, which is also really strange. Yeah. So Hannah and Emily just then push over a shelf and a whole bunch of stuff goes crashing, glass shattering everywhere. And in a bit of, not very subtle foreshadowing, a bowling ball, which some might say is shaped similarly to a human head, starts a rolling down the stairs. Oh my goodness. Uh, where it almost hits Allison, Aria, and Spencer. I forgot to mention before, the liars are like, oh, they've brought us here to kill us. Uh, they try to like call the cops or text Emily and Hannah, but oh look, no one has service. Uh, they They can't get you know, they can't get out. Uh, they, they're going to try to find another way to get upstairs, but they don't ever really do it. They're just at the bottom of this staircase, uh, you know, being incredibly freaked out the whole rest of the episode. Uh, Jenna appears at the top of the stairs with the gun. She calls for Allison and says, she's been the missing girl, the dead girl, but tonight she gets to be Jenna because Jenna is turning out the lights. Um, I agree with you that this is like a callback to that movie, but this is also lots of lead up. But like, hasn't Allison ever been in the dark before? <laughs> I know, I know. Weird flex. <laughs> Weird flex there, Jenna. I also think that this is a really interesting idea in theory. Like, I like the idea of somebody, and it would almost have to be Jenna, sort of calling out like, these are all the things that Allison has been. And the one thing that you have not been is me. Um, however, it's just like, it's stuffed into the end of this episode that has been such a mess in this season that has been such a mess that it's like, it's sort of hard to get invested in this idea, especially because like Jenna and Noel's motives have been so unclear this entire time. And remain. And remain. And will remain. So, yes. Um, so meanwhile, it's like, I do kind of like how like Noel and Jenna in separate parts of the house of this house are just like monologuing about how much they hate the liars and like they both seem like kind of unaware of what the other one is doing um this is where i'm like i think they just are both kind of they both kind of lost the thread at this point um so noel is yelling about how you bitches never understood me you he noel always gets what he wants he's like sneaking around with this axe jenna has her gun uh i feel like maybe the two of them could have like choreographed this routine a little bit better but also, if they were planning to kill the liars, did Noel come to the murder party with no weapon? 
he took this axe off of the suit of armor. Like he, he, what was he? He was just going to use his bare hands. There are like five liars and okay. Okay. Yep. Sure. Sure. Improv. Noel's a big fan of improv. Um, he is ambushed by Emily and Hannah who kind of like, they sort of grab at him and Hannah has like a coat rack. Hannah has a coat rack, but then I think Emily kind of grabs him. Again, the lighting's very bad. Um, (laughs) And the axe goes flying, and there's sort of a scuffle. Noel goes down. There's a squishing sound. And Emily goes, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, downstairs where the liars are, like, eternally at the bottom of the staircase (laughs) as things thud down. Now something else is coming, but it is not a bowling ball. Why was there a bowling ball at the school? Anyway, uh, it's not a bowling ball this time. It is Noel's head. Instead of shouting for Hannah and Emily to come down, the liars panic and rush upstairs. They make a ton of noise, and Jenna then, of course, follows them. Yeah, that's a wrap on Noel Khan, everybody. Like... Heads off, hats off to Noel Khan. Uh, meanwhile, also, like, like, all of this has happened, and Jenna's still monologuing. Like, she's still asking, like, rats, you're all running, like, scare the rats. And it's like, Jenna, Noel Khan just got beheaded. Like, and she almost trips over his head in a moment of utter campy comedy. She almost tripped over his head. How does Jenna not trip over the axe? How does Jenna not smell the blood? (laughs) (laughs) Jenna's like, wait a minute. I'm getting like a little bit of a Noel smell, but then like there's like more of a Noel smell upstairs, almost as though his body is in pieces. (laughs) So, yes, the liars have reunited at the top of the stairs. They like rush past the disembodied, you know, beheaded Noel corpse. Like, we don't really have time to deal with that right now. Um, But now Jenna is here with her gun trained on all of them. Uh, Spencer kind of pushes the liars behind her, which I do love. I love Spencer as sort of like mama bear here. There's like this, this sequence is very chaotic, but there's like a gunshot. There's like another gunshot. All of the liars, except for Spencer, run downstairs. We hear Spencer go like, no, 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 no. There's a scream. The door is still locked, of course. And they're like, wait a minute. Where is Spencer? Also, liars, what is wrong with you? Break that door down. Break a window. Like, come on. Do some ingenuity. Like, I can't believe that after all this time and, like, in a situation of mortal danger, the liars are just like, it's locked. What are we to do? Also. So Mary, this is, this really is turning into a Thornhill Lodge situation because Mary Drake is here. There's also another person here. I guess Alex Drake who has shot Spencer. Yes. For reasons I don't understand. Um, And it, it will then take Jenna away. So there's a lot of people in this house right now. There are, there are, it's true. Now, if Alex Drake were smart, she would have shot Spencer, killed her, and then come downstairs as Spencer in this moment and like Thank done you. the twin thing of taking over the person's life. But yes, that's not what's gonna happen. No, it's no. not. Uh, Spencer herself is bleeding 
uh, a lot of the spirit Halloween blood and dragging herself across the floor of the creepy baby doll nursery. Uh, Jenna stands at the door and says she can smell Spencer's blood. Uh, apparently Noel's blood is odorless. So <laughs> it was just, you know, nothing. Uh, Hannah diluted it too much by cutting his leg previously. I guess so. Um, she says that this is almost as much for her as it is for Charlotte. And then in like uh, a return of the Jedi situation where Darth Vader picks up the Emperor and flings him down into the pit, uh, Mary Drake comes out of nowhere and blindsides Jenna so that Jenna cannot injure Spencer. I am your mother. Uh, wait, wait, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, Mary Drake is suddenly here. Uh, she grabs the gun. She rushes over to Spencer. And of course, because she's Mary Drake, she starts singing a little song. <laughs> There's never a bad time to start obviously singing a little song. <laughs> if I were like, if I were like shot and in danger of bleeding to death, and someone came over and started singing a creepy song to me, I would really not find that comforting. Like I would like, I would like someone to be like, I've already called 911. I'd like someone to be like, help us on the way. I would like someone to be like, I'm a yeah. trauma surgeon. Yes. I would not like someone to like start singing about like blackbirds in any way. Like that is I, like very far down on my list of actions I would consider helpful. I'd be like, did I already die? In <laughs> like, what's going on? Um, am I being punished? Um, so Mary Drake starts singing Mockingbird. Someone, AD, I guess, grabs Jenna and pulls her away. Uh, the liars have, are like rushing back in. Mary begs Spencer not to leave her. And the liars are all like, Mary Drake, what are you doing here? <laughs> Old so-and-so. Um, and Mary says, I would never hurt you, Spencer. I am your mother. And Spencer just like stares up at her and is like, I can't deal with this right now. And her eyes slip closed. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. So the liars rushing upstairs. There are only two rooms upstairs, as far as we know. Creepy baby nursery and saber tooth tiger room. Yes. But the liars are like running around trying to find Spencer. Where's Spencer? They don't see Alex Drake dragging Jenna away. Like, yeah. What okay, okay. Thornhill Lodge, Thornhill Lodge. Um, an ambulance races past the Rosewood city limits. Tobey's pickup has wrecked against a tree. He's looking maybe dead. Yvonne is as well. Their possessions are scattered all over the road. But this episode, <laughs> this episode has 12 endings. <laughs> and here's another. <laughs> and I feel like the endings are happening like in order of like decreasing tension. Like it's like <laughs> Spencer getting shot and finding out Mary Drake is her mother. Like that's the thing you want to go out on. But then it's like, no, Toby car accident. You're like, okay. And then it's like, no, Jenna's in a car with AD. We don't see who AD is, which is what's going to happen now. Jenna wakes up in a car and she asks, who are you? And somebody throws a coconut oil mask near her. And she's like, and, and, and she says, and did you shoot Spencer? So we know that Jenna was not the one who shot Spencer. And whoever is driving is AD, Jenna realizes. So this is revealing to us that Jenna 
is not AD, presumably neither was Noel, and Jenna did not know the identity of AD. And and I guess even in this moment doesn't know the identity of AD. And that's the end of the episode. Uh, yeah, uh, so it's like the whole scene in the haunted house is like an extension of everybody being at Spencer's for a thousand years. Like everybody is just at the haunted house having yeah. different things happen, which I feel like is why we don't get to see like the, the Tobey scene when we should and we don't get like, but yeah, the, the obvious thing that you should go out on is Mary Drake and saying that, you know, she's Spencer's mom. Even if you had to like cut away like from the scene of Spencer bleeding on the floor to these other scenes and then go back to it. Yeah, um, sure. You know, I still think that that would, but, but they're trying to build tension that doesn't really, they're, they're not having a lot of success with it. So I feel like that was just their big idea was just to like, create all the tension of everybody being in the haunted house together. I agree. I agree. So that was 7A. That was the darkest night. How are we doing? <laughs> okay. So um, in my memory, like everything post jump was just pretty abysmal. And I haven't really changed my opinion about that, but you were right that this half season I think is probably the most fun of the, the post jump seasons. I mean, it's not saying a lot, um, but I do, I do agree that having Jenna back and having Noel back and stuff like that, um, it does make things and having Mary Drake be like camping it up all over the place. Um, that does make this half season more watchable than the one that came before. And I think more watchable than the one that's going to come after it. Yeah, I, I think that you're right. I it's I think like I was so struck watching it this time that just the pacing of this half season is abysmal. Like because <laughs> it's just it's this weird transition period where it's like the second half of this half season, it's like, oh, we got all these old characters back, but like they kind of had to wrap up the whole Archer storyline and it's just, it's really very messy and it's really still unclear kind of what the mystery even is now, you know? And so it's like, oh, like the Hannah kidnapping thing, like that's kind of, I do think, I, I, I think I will say, I think it's a really interesting idea because so, so much of the series has been the liars are being chased by A, the liars are being chased by A, the liars have done something that they're trying to avoid A revealing. And I do think it's an interesting idea to sort of flip that and be like, no, the liars are the ones out for vengeance. Like the liars are the ones who are like trying to stalk A or kill A or, you know, get A, destroy A's life in some way. I think that's interesting. I just think that it's like, as with pretty much everything this season, it's just underbaked. It's just an underbaked idea. And the way that they were writing this, like this sort of exquisite corpse style where it just feels like it was like episode to episode, there's no real overarching sense of like direction or theme or character development. Um, and so it's it's sort of hard to feel like anything is really very intentional at this point. Yeah, and like, I, I mean, I made a lot of Thornhill Lodge comparisons, but we just watched this whole episode. We just watched this whole half season and, like, I could not tell you 100% for sure, like, what teams were operating with what motivation no. in the haunted house. Or, like, yeah. 
Oh, agree, agree. And it's, again, it's like, I think we were talking about this in last week. It's like all of the villains have been so flattened at this point that it's like, you know, they none of them, none of their motivations feel distinct or specific. None of the characters really do. Like, it's it's hard to sort of feel like, oh, I know why that person did that thing. Um, and it's interesting how it's also just like been this season of sort of Hannah's vengeance. And like that has not really been terribly successful. Maybe a lot, maybe some of that is the Ashley Benson performance. But I also think it's like it's weird to sort of single out one of the liars in that way. And 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 they did it in a way that felt somewhat random. Like I just I don't know. I don't really think that that was a successful choice. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think if they were going to do that, they should have had Mona in more. Like, I agree. Mona had been kind of like a mentor or like a stabilizing force throughout this half season for Hannah. I think that could have been pretty interesting. Um, I also think that if Emily was going to leave her phone upstairs, I wish it had been a situation where like, Allison and Emily were investigating a closet and ooh got scared and had like a little moment in there together and then Emily dropped her phone and had to go back for it like sure I'll, I'll take that um, sure no Emily is just this is absolutely her first rodeo she picked up a creepy doll baby which you really shouldn't do anyway it's probably no. cursed yeah and then she drops her phone and then all the all the rest of it goes down yeah, I I agree. I mean, it was there's you can just see the plot mechanics a while, a mile away, for sure. Um, do we have more that we want to say about this episode or this half season right now? R.I.P. Noel. You deserved better. You deserved better. Noel deserved better. I think this is a bummer way listen, to end this character. Listen, you know as well as I do that if PLL had gone for ten seasons. That this would have just been some magic trick where Noel faked his beheading. This is true. Threw a coconut oil mask down the stairs, and the liars just like you know. I mean, I just feel like if it had gone on for long enough, uh, Noel definitely could have come back soap opera style, maybe even with a new head. He totally should have died, like by that by something bursting out of his chest. But it's real this time. Oh, that would have been great. Been so perfect. Such a good callback. It's also, I mean, we will get to this when we eventually get to 7B, but it's so funny how it's like, the liars don't get in any trouble for this. Like, it's just like- No! Of all the things, of all the things the liars have ever been arrested for, possession of a shovel, digging up boots, like, all these things. And like, here they are at a haunted house that they snuck away from their police escort to go to with like a beheaded corpse- Spencer shot and bleeding and the police are just like oh I see he fell on an axe well happens all the time I need to get out my form for fell on axe accidental <laughs> beheadings that's you know it's like it's like car theft or something it yeah yeah I mean I don't even think we see them like really getting like deeply questioned about it no no I don't think we do either yeah yeah, it's weird. It's weird. Well, so we are going to be taking a break from 
uh, these episodes. We will be rolling out, thank God, we'll be rolling out a bunch of bonus content before uh, the last half season of the series, Wild Stuff. Uh, but it'll be a while before we get to that. We have a lot of stuff we want to cover. We're still kind of figuring out our programming schedule. But um, if you have thoughts of bonus episodes that you are interested in or, you know, anything that you would like us to sort of cover before we dive into the last bit of this series, um, of course, you can always reach out to us. You can send us an email at everybodyapodcast at gmail.com. You can check out our Instagram at Everybody A Podcast. You can check out our Spotify, Everybody A, Everybody Gay. Uh, you can also send in a rating and review on iTunes. We would appreciate it. Um, we also appreciate that all of you have stuck with us through this long and winding road of season <laughs> seven. Um, even though these episodes have been kind of a bummer, I have had a very fun time talking about them with you. Agreed. 100% agree. All right. So until next time. Take care. Take care.